Masechet Shekalim, Daf Yotet, we begin the seventh perek, a very, very interesting daf. We're talking about finding coins uh, not in the right place. So if you remember, they, we had the whole list of 13 baskets, uh, but let's say there's baskets that are found in between, uh, money that's found between the baskets that didn't make, quite make it in. There's like in the olden days when we had the toll, toll booths and you, know, you throw it in and sometimes you miss right on the floor below the toll booth is lots of coins. Some people from the passenger seat would throw it over the top. So, uh, uh, so there were found uh, money, uh, coins uh, in front of the baskets. They fell out. They never made it in. What do we do with them? That's the question for today. And that will lead us to uh, many interesting examples of finding money, finding coins, then finding meat. Uh, the famous uh, example of the nine stores, one's kosher, nine are not kosher, and you find some meat or the other way around. That's going to come up at the end of today's daf. All right. So we begin with the Mishnah. Right, one of the baskets was for Machasita Shekel. And there were six baskets that were for Korban Nedava. I want my money to go to an Ola that will be burnt on the Mizbeach whenever the Mizbeach is idle. And now this coin is found uh, on the floor between them. What's the law? The number one rule is we go by karov, which is it closer to? If it's closer to the basket that was from Achasita Shekel, then you make a good presumption that it was meant to be in that basket and it didn't make it in or fell out. If it's closer to one of the six baskets that are for Nedava, then it's going to be, it's likely that's going to go for Nedava. Where do we learn this rule from that we go, we follow karov as a presumption? Well, one place we can learn it from is from Aigla Arufa, when we find someone who, uh, uh, someone who was murdered uh, and we don't know who it is, we go to the closest city and then we, uh, right, the, uh, the elders come from there, come, come out from there and they do the whole ceremony. So that's one rule, Karov. Now, what if it's Mechsa Le Mechsa? It's exactly right, uh, even, even right between those two. So you can't go by the one that's closer. So then what do you do? You Nedava. Then you give it to Nedava. Now you can ask a question here. Why? Why Nedava? Why not Machasita Shekel? After all, um, in general, the rule is going to be that you use it for whichever purpose is higher, whichever is more Hamur. And the Machasita Shekel goes to communal offerings that are required, obligatory communal offerings, which is the highest level. And so why would you give it, uh, why would you say it's nedava rather than for machasita shekel? The, the Gemara will address that question. Next example, ben asim lelevona. If it's, let's say it's between the, uh, the fifth and sixth uh, baskets, well, one of them was donations for wood and the other donations for frankincense. So same rule. If it's closer to the wood basket, goes there. If it's closer to the frankincense basket, goes there. If it's exactly between them uh, evenly, then you, you give it frankincense. Why? Frankincense is an actual korban that's offered. Right? They, take, uh, they take some of it and offer it. Um, whereas the wood is only the fuel that you burn other things with. It's not itself a sacrifice. So therefore frankincense is a higher level. So we'll assume it will go for frankincense, right? Interesting, in all, all these cases, when it's closer to the lower level one, you presume that it's a lower level one. So karov is, is a rule that you can follow that presumption, right? Even, even likula. Good. Next case, ben kinin legozle ola. There were two baskets that were each for pairs of birds. 
Um, the first one, Kinin, was for obligatory birds. We're following Rabbanan here, not a Biuda from yesterday. So the first one was for obligatory birds, like Azav, Zava, they have to bring one Ola and one Hatat one of each bird. And uh, the other basket was for Gozde Ola, that was for voluntary, someone just wants to donate birds for an Ola voluntarily. So now, again, if it's closer to one, we follow the closer rule. But if you're not sure, because it's exactly in between, then you follow Gozle Ola, because in that case, both of them go as an Ola. Ola, the whole thing is burnt, and that's a higher level sacrifice than um, the first one where one is Ola and one is Hatat. Hatat, the Kohanim eat, it's a lower level type of Korban. Uh, the Gemara will discuss, well, what about the person that brought that Korban as a Hatat, right? They need to have their Kapara. What's going to happen to them? So we'll discuss that. Ben cholin ma'aser sheni karob la cholin ipulu la cholin ma'aser sheni ipulu ma'aser sheni ipulu ma'aser sheni. Okay, now we talk about other examples altogether, not relating to the thirteen baskets. Even though there's thirteen baskets, we didn't actually um, uh, discuss every possible case. The Gemara will discuss why, but why also. But now we'd go to another case, not nothing to do with the thirteen basket collection boxes, uh, but rather uh, if you're going, you're walking around, and you find. Uh, some money in uh, any, anywhere in Jerusalem. Um, so if you find a pile of chulin, regular non-sacred money, and then you find maaseh sheni, maaseh sheni money means um, any, every, everybody has to take a tenth of their produce um, in given years and, and bring it to Jerusalem. If they don't want to carry it to Jerusalem, they can redeem it for money, bring the money to Jerusalem and buy food with it and enjoy. So that's maaseh sheni. If you have a pile that you know is maaseh sheni money, and so then, and you find a coin in between. If it's closer to the chulin money, then you then you assume it's chulin. If it's closer to maaseh sheni money, then you assume it's maaseh sheni. you pull If it's exactly in between, you have to assume it's the higher level, the one that is more uh, restricted use. And this would apply if it's found anywhere, anywhere in the world, right? Because you might have at home some money that you're um, saving for maaseh sheni. And now the general rule, uh, whenever we always go after the closer one, even if it's for leniency, when it's exactly in between, then we follow whichever uh, one is more stringent. Very good. Okay, nice clear Mishnah and gives us some good line, gu- guidelines. Now the Gemara will discuss. Ben shekalim lekinim. The word delan Yerushalmi is short for da ela. Lo srecha da. We only need this ela ben shekalim lekinim. So this is a question on the first case of the of the Mishnah. That why 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 did it say that? Why did it bring an example of something that's between the machasita shekel um, and the kinim? Uh, for for the for the bear, the, right? Why didn't it? Sorry, sorry. Why didn't it ask a question on what's between if something is found between machazita shekel and the one for birds? Because those are the ones that are adjacent to each other, right? In the list that we saw yesterday, it's machazita shekel from this year, from last year, and then the birds. Those are the ones next to each other. So if you're going to find something that's in between, it's going to be those two. Instead, our Mishnah says. What if it's between machazita shekel and one for nedava? But those were far apart from each other. Those are the opposite ends. Uh, so that's the question. Answer to be Abun Bashem to be Pinchas, Kimin Buchliyad Havu Hayu Osin. That the collection boxes were not in a straight line, but rather in a circle, like these twisted snails. That's what this Buchliyad means. 
Um, I don't know why they just say it's like a circle, but maybe it's some kind of special shape like this. Um, anyway, the point is that since it's in a circle, circle, so the first one, Machazit Shekel, is actually next to the last one, which is the six that are bo uh, boxes, collection boxes that are for Nedaba. So in fact, they are next to each other, and that's why it makes, this, makes sense to ask, what if it's closer to this one or closer to that one, or exactly in between? Okay, good. Now, the halacha mentioned in the, in the Mishnah was that if it's exactly between the machasita shekel box and the voluntary offering box, nedava, then it goes to nedava. Why? The Gemara asks, if it's equidistant, why don't you give it as a machasita shekel? After all, machasita shekel will go for obligatory uh, offerings that are a higher level than the than the free will offerings that'll be nedava. So we're going to have a couple of answers. Number answer number one: Some say the following. Uh, this is like in the in the Bavli. Says the chances are that when you have you're going to have machasita you're going to have sufficient amount to pay for all the communal sacrifices, and then you're going to have leftover. All that remainder is going to go for the general chamber funds. It's going to go for fixing the wall, for you know all kinds of other things, not for actual sacrifices. So now this coin that fell out, that's half between uh, be between the two, better to put it to nedava. So for sure it will go to a korban olah rather than put it in the machasita shekel where it'll just join the leftovers that will not go for an actual animal korban at all. So that's the reason. So that makes a lot of sense. And a second reason, a uh, second answer. Um, the one that's found between, it's like it has no owners. When someone gives machasita shekel and then that person dies, right? What happens? Uh, or any korban, the person dies. What do we do with that? So it's an ownerless uh, offering. It's an ownerless donation. So what happens to an ownerless donation? Well, we know the halacha in that case from the following. says, when I was in Babel, I heard the voice of Rav Yehuda, I was a student of Shemuel, and he asked the question to Shemuel, what happens if someone designated a coin, says, I'm going to give this coin to Machazita Shekel. He didn't give it yet. He has it in his closet. And then he dies. What should we do with that coin? You can't just take it because it's already consecrated. You can't really put it in Machazita Shekel because that he's it's offering for no one, right? You can't give an offering for nobody, an ownerless offering. So rather than give it to Machazita Shekel, give it to the free will offerings, the extra offerings when the Mizbech is idle, then you just bring other olot. So what do you see here that an ownerless donation goes to Nedava? This coin that's found on the floor is basically like an ownerless donation. It never quite made it into the basket. And so it should go to Nedava, even if it's actually meant to be Machasita Shekel, it would, should be used for Nedava. All the more so if it came from the, from the Nedava, one of the six Nedava boxes, it would also be Nedava. So either way, you're good by sending it to the Nedava. Another um, a similar point, uh, halacha, that you give something that's ownerless to nedava, 
Yesirita Efash Shelo, the Kohen Gadol, we saw a couple of times, would bring a Yesirita, a tenth of an Efah flower in the morning and the evening uh, as his special Mincha. Uh, what happens if he has extra? He, don't, he said, he says, here's $100 for it. It only costs $90. What is he going to do with that extra $10? Um, so he can't just take it because he already consecrated it. He can't use it for anything else because he already has an Asita today. And tomorrow he has to bring another Asita Rafa. So he can't use it for tomorrow either. So what do you do with it? The first opinion was you have to throw it into the Dead Sea so that no one will ever use it. Can never be used again. Ibi Al-Azad says, no, no need to do that. It's consecrated. So use it for something else. Give it to a Nedava. So this is the same idea that uh, money that is ownerless, it's ownerless in this case because the Kohen Gadol can't use it for himself and no one else can use it. So it goes to Nedava. So too, the money that falls between the baskets is like it's ownerless and it should therefore go to Nedava no matter what. All right, great. Now the next case uh, was uh, talking about the birds. Uh, if it's found between the two bird baskets, uh, the one that the one is that uh, one of them is going to be for an Olana Khatat, that someone has to bring, like a Zav and Zava, and the other basket is two alot, which is voluntary. And if it's found between them, so we say we bring it for the two alot. Question, well, what if the money was really meant for the first basket, the one that has one chatat in it, and now you're going to make an ola? Can you bring a chatat as an ola? In general, you cannot, even though it's true, Allah is a higher level than a chatat, but chatat has particular uh, uh, ways that you have to sprinkle on this part of the Mizbech, Allah is on a different part, and so you can't just make a chatat and Allah, there are different kinds of korban. Chizkiyah b'shem Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, so answer comes from Chizkiyah, this is uh, strange because Chizkiyah is a first generation Amora, Desh Lakish is second generation, it doesn't make sense that the teacher would be quoting the, the, the student. Uh, this Chizkiyah may be a later Chizkiyah with the same name, uh, quoting his teacher. Um, anyway, whoever said it, There's a general stipulation that the court says, even if an individual doesn't say it, we say it for them. It's a uh, presumed stipulation that anything extra that is from a, from a, 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 a anything extra that comes from a chatat is used for an ola, and therefore within the law of chatat is already uh, a possibility that it might become an ola, and that's why in this case when it's found exactly in between, we're not sure it's chatat or an ola we can rely on the stipulation to bring it as an ola. So that's the reason why we can do that. But you're right, in general, we couldn't if we didn't have that special stipulation. All right, fine. You resolve the problem regarding what to do with that with that money and that that bird. But what about the, this poor woman? Literally poor, because it would be a poor woman that gave childbirth, that was, was uh, uh, gave birth to a child who would bring a pair of birds. And she brought this, or a zava, right? A zav too, but I guess it's more, more often woman. How would she be a get kapara? After all, she's uh, she was tameh. She waited seven days. She did mikveh. She has to bring a korban before she can get uh, kapara. And now you took this her money that she, she tried to throw into the basket and you put it for an Allah. No one's going to bring a khatat for her. So what do we do with that? We have an answer. The betin makes a makes a deal with the bird supplier, right? There's some uh, farmer who supplies all the birds for the betamikdash, and they say, "Listen, you know, we're going to count every day. People are going to come and put put in, right? Let's say they have you know 50 uh, pair, 50 coins for these pairs of birds. Once for chatat, once for an olah." 
good. So the so supplier will supply them. And they make an extra deal with them that if there's anything that ends up being disqualified or missing, the supplier has to supply birds for that person also. So what they'll do at the end of the day, they'll see how many people were here, how many do we need to do, 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 do we need to give? Uh, they'll count the receipts. Remember they had those receipts, right? And all that. And so they'll realize that, oh, this woman, uh, she says that she has to bring a korban. We don't have the money in there. Maybe the money went to the other one. Doesn't matter. The supplier will supply an extra couple of birds for her, and that way she will get her kapara. Good. Lo serikha de la ben ketoret la esim, lekapodet. Okay, now we have a question. Uh, great, the Mishnah brought a few examples, like three examples, but what about all the other possibilities? What if you find um, a, a coin between the basket that's meant for ketoret and the one that's meant for the wood, or between the one that was meant for frankincense and the basket that's meant for gold, the extra gold that you use for our cover and other vessels? We didn't talk about those cases. So what would you do in each of those cases? The Gemara answers, We can use the rule at the end. You figure out which one is the more, more chamur in each and every case. And that's what, that's what you'll do. If it's closer to one, you do it closer. If it's one that's not, then you'll, if, if exactly even, you'll find the one that's more machmir. Okay, since we have the rule, why'd you mention everything that's there and be, uh, there before? Well, these were particular cases that were difficult and we had to learn about them. So the Mishnah addressed those cases, but the other cases you can figure out on your own. All right, and that brings us to the next Mishnah. Okay, now we're not talking about the baskets anymore. We're just talking about money that's found um, in different places. If you found money in Jerusalem and it's in front of the, the animals, the animal merchants, it's near, near it's with the butchers, then you can assume that that money is ma'asir, ma'asir sheni money. Why would you assume that? Well, because people come from all over, all over Israel and they're bringing the ma'asir sheni money. And one of the things they're doing with it, they could buy fruit also, but they're buying animals. So we can assume that the most of the money that's near the butcher, people are paying, are buying it, buying money, buying with ma'asir sheni money. So any money lost there, you can keep, you, if you find it and you don't know who the owner is, you can keep it, but it still has ma'asir sheni sanctity. So you have to use it as you would ma'asir sheni. That makes sense. Now, if you're walking around on Harabayit, you know, right, counterclockwise, as we saw, and you find a coin there and you pick it up, that's Chulin. You can pocket it and use it anything for anything you want. This seems counterintuitive. You think if it's on Harabayit, it must be holy. I don't know, somebody brought it for a korban or something, right? Okay, hold on. The Gemara will explain that. Obidu Shalayim. Not those, if it's not those two places, not in front of the butcher and not on Harabayit, somewhere in Jerusalem, then it depends on when. If it's during the rest of the year, everybody's coming and buying and selling. So then, right? It's just not special money. But if it's during time of the holiday, and the holiday, that's when people come from all the outskirts all over Israel and they bring their any money. So if someone dropped a coin, you have to assume the vast majority of, of, uh, of money and during the holidays is any money. Okay, good. Now, that's talking, all that was talking about finding coins. What if you find actual meat? You find a piece of meat. If you found meat on the temple courtyard, certainly it is sacrificial meat, but what kind of sacrifice? If it's a big whole limb of an animal, then it's an olah. 
because Allah was not eaten, the whole thing was burned. So it was not butchered into little pieces. They would just uh, cut it into the required pieces. And then those were put on the Mizbech in their entirety. However, Chatat, part of it is burnt on the Mizbech, part of it the Kohanim eat. So that was cut into smaller pieces that would be for, for eating size. So if it's prepared with and cut in small pieces, you can assume it's a Chatat. Bidu Shalayim, if you found meat, just unattended, somewhere in Jerusalem, you assume it's a shalamim. Shalamim are offerings that someone brings and, and you can eat them. Anyone can eat them anywhere in Jerusalem. So, uh, so that's what you assume because uh, most of the meat all around Jerusalem is in fact sacrificial meat. If you're in Jerusalem, why would you bring it as a sacrifice? Okay. Now, even though we have a presumption, what is an Allah, what's chatat, what's a shalamim, nevertheless, just because it's an Allah doesn't mean you go and now put it on the on the Mizbeach, because you, you don't know for sure. Also, if it's a Chatat, you don't just mean that you treat it as Chatat or Shalim, it doesn't mean that you're going to go and eat it yourself. Rather, all of these, Teubar Sudata means you leave it over till it spoils or becomes Notad, and then you burn it. So Because even though you found it, uh, you don't know, is it is it Notad? Is it Tameh? Is it okay? Right? There's a lot of things that we don't know about it, so we can't just eat it. So why even bother telling us what's with Salah, Chotat, or Shalamim? It could make a difference for the punishment. Let's say someone did go and eat it. Would there be Chayab Me'ilah, right, as an Olah, or not as a Shalamim? So it still could make a practical difference, even though Lechatechila, we're not going to actually use any of them. Now, Nimsabig Bulin, meat that's found outside of Jerusalem. Uh, we're assuming it's in a place that's a majority of Jews. So that, you know, we think most of it, if you find meat, you assume it's Jewish, but it depends. If it's a whole limb, now a whole limb, that means that they killed the animal, they found it, or, or the animal died. So you're going to just give it to the dog. So in that case, you leave it whole. If it's cut up in small pieces, you'd only cut up in small pieces if it's kosher meat, and then you intend to, to, get, to sell it or to eat it, by humans. So therefore, if it's cut in small pieces, you can assume that this animal was kasher and you can go and eat it. Again, assuming that you're in a Jewish city, not in a non-Jewish city where there would be just non-kosher meat that was eaten by humans. And last point, if it is in a Jewish city, then and, and during the time of a holiday, even outside of Jerusalem, they would have lots of meat. So then, even if it's made uh, big limbs, you can assume that that's kosher meat because there's so much meat around. They just didn't get a chance to cut it up yet. Uh, you know, they're transporting it. There's going to have a lot of a lot of people over, and so all meat you can assume is kosher at the time of a holiday, even outside of Jerusalem. All right, that's all the laws of the Mishnah. Gemara explains. Last surka de la behad kodesh. Question: What money that's found on the Temple Mount? You're not going to think is consecrated money, right? If anyone bringing money around there, probably this is, they brought it for a korban. They're going to deposit it in one of the baskets. They're going to do something important with it. What's going on? So his answer, one answer is that anyone bringing money there, 
which this is not said, anyone bringing money there for a purpose, they're not going to lose it. They're going to hold on to it, right? They, you know, I brought, I saved up the whole week, the whole year to bring this chatat, to bring this ola. So they're going to make sure it goes to the Kohen. The more likelihood that why is lost is that the Kohanim lost it. The Kohanim were, you know, taking our money out of the treasury to go and pay a vendor, to pay a supplier. And that's more likely when it would drop. But the Kohanim, we know, are very careful. And they don't take any money out of the chamber until the supplier comes, delivers what he's, uh, what he's selling, and they then transfer the Kedusha, right? They say, listen, you know, we're going to buy 100 birds from you. Here's the money. The money, that, the Kedusha that was in this money now goes to the birds, and then they give it to the supplier. So if it was lost, it was lost by the supplier on his way out. And by that time, the money is chulin. And for that reason, we can assume that anything we find on Harabait is chulin. Uh, so that's a, a, a maybe a, a unexpected, but it makes a lot of sense that any money on the on Harabait is actually actually chulin. All right, good. Vasasha nimsa. Now, uh, um, if you find meat, now leaving money, if you found meat in the whole city, right? If it's a whole limb, then it's not kasher. Species, it's okay. Rabbi Lazar be'shem Rabbi Hoshaya. So here, Hashem has a general law. Hisiyah, this is Yerushalmi Hisiyah, in the Bible it says Hisiyah, uh, but they mean the same thing. If one diverted his attention from sacrificial meat, the law is the Chetachilav. When you have sacrificial meat, you have to pay attention to it the whole time. Make sure nothing happens to it. Make sure it doesn't become Tameh and all that. Now, if you did not pay attention, if you didn't pay attention to it, then... Um, according to the Bioshaya, you have to wait until it decays, either physically decays or it becomes notar and therefore inedible. Why? Because we worry maybe it became tameh when you weren't looking, but just maybe, maybe it's okay. So we can't eat it because maybe it became tameh because you weren't paying attention to it. Um, you can't just uh, now, now burn it because maybe it's okay. So therefore you have to wait until for sure it's pasul and then you would burn it. Okay, this is unlike another opinion uh, uh, there. This is the opinion of Rio Hanan. Rish Lakish has an altering opinion in Pesachim that we know for sure it's no good. You have to pay attention to it and not paying attention to it, paying attention to it is basul haguf. According to Rish Lakish, you wouldn't have to wait. You could just burn it right away. All right, anyway, so that's the reason why this, uh, in all these cases, meat that's found, even, the, even the, uh, in, in the city, whatever it is, you can, when we said, is it Ola, is it Khatat, is it Shalamim, we can have a presumption of what it is, but in all cases, you have to burn it, you have to wait till it is, be, is uh, decays, and then burn it, that's the reason. Now we quote the actually uh, the, another statement of Rabbi Hoshaya, which is uh, backs this up. It's basically the same. So here Hoshaya said the halacha, and here Hoshaya proves it from our Mishnah, because our Mishnah says that in all these cases, when you found meat, you should allow it to decay, and then you burn it. So there you go. Since you have to first allow it to decay and then burn it, that proves his halacha. And we have Another statement that says, I agree with the halacha, but for a slightly different reason. Indeed, I agree. Certainly we can't eat it. Because maybe it decayed already. Maybe it became notat already. It became pasul for whatever reason. And we don't know what happened to, to this while nobody was looking. So we can't eat it. 
And that's why, since we don't know what happened to it, we have to wait until for sure it's Pasul, and then we uh, it will go to Beta Serefa. So there's a different reason. He's not worried that it became Tameh necessarily, but maybe it became Notad beforehand. So he agrees with the Halakha, but for a different reason. All right, good. Now, Nimsa Big Bulin, meat that was found and uh, outside of uh, Jerusalem, depends on the shape, if it's a whole limb, uh, then it's no good. So when you find it in whole limbs, um, you presume it's a nevela. Now this presumption is it for sure, or you're not, or just because of safek. He says you assume it like for sure to the extent that if someone ate it, you would give them lashes even though we just found it. So we're not really sure that it's nevela. It could be kosher. You just didn't butcher it yet. Uh, no, no, we presume the presumption is strong enough that we follow it and to the extent that we can even punish the person. And we prove this. Then Mishnah gave two cases. The evarim, the whole limbs, are nevela, and we just said you get lashes. When we said that if it's cut into small pieces, then you're allowed to eat it. What do you mean allowed? It means really allowed. Don't you mean actually you can go and eat it? Right? So the presumption, we follow the presumption, even though it's, it is based on doubt, once we have the presumption in place, we follow it 100% as if it's for sure. So the other parallel case, when we have a presume, presumption as nevela, then you would even get lashes for it. Okay. Uh, now, that's, that was from Rabbi Rabbi Krispa. We have another statement in his name. Rabbi Krispa, Beshem Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Chanina, Im Hayu Machazorot Mutarot. If, even if it's found in whole limbs, if they're strung together like beads, then they're permitted. Why? Because that would be the way that it was transported, that it was uh, stored uh, like beads. It means that we care about it and we want to keep it uh, safe. Um, by, by stringing it together. So then, you know, it's permitted. It wasn't meant to be thrown to the dogs as a nevela. Good. Now we get to this, uh, the famous case. We have 10, 10 butchers on the same street, in the same city. Nine of them sell non-kosher meat. Only one of them sells kosher meat. So uh, based on this, you know, just based on the probability, you'd assume anything will be non-kosher. But it depends on the following. Nitchalfulo means if I went into one of the stores and now I got confused, which store did I go into? I don't know, I was, wasn't paying. I was on the phone talking to my friend while I was shopping. I don't remember which store did I go into, the kosher store or the non-kosher store. In that case, we say choshesh. I have to worry, I have to be concerned that like 50-50. Um, and so therefore I can't eat it, right? Because there's, uh, it could be I bought it from the non-kosher store. Nevertheless, if I did eat it, I wouldn't receive lashes because I don't know for sure. So when I went into a store, I treat it as 50-50. However, if we found some meat in the middle of the, in the middle on the street between all the stores, then we follow the majority of stores. In this case, the majority are non-kosher. So therefore this meat is non-kosher and it's presumed non-kosher for sure. So that if someone ate it, they would get lashes. Now you can ask, 
What's the difference between these two cases? Um, and the Babli calls this kol kavua kemechsa mechsadame. Anyone, anything that's in this place is considered half and half. Um, uh, but if it's kol uh, hayotze, if it leaves this place, then we follow the majority. The logic is something like this: If I went into a store and did something, so I, I, I we, we focus on me and the meat and the, and right that that I have here. So we say 50-50, either I went to a kosher store or a non-kosher store, so I'm not sure. So you're just focusing the question on what did I do, where did I go, right, and, and going into the store. When something leaves the place where it came from, so it could have come from any of these, so then we focus on the whole neighborhood and we say this meat that was found, where was it? It could have been from any of the stores. Okay, now we're gonna test out this on the opposite case. Now there are nine stores that are kosher and only one that's not kosher. So this would seem to be better. In the first case, if I went into a store and I don't remember which one, I got mixed up which store I went into. So I have to be concerned that 50-50, maybe it was kosher, maybe it's not. Even though there are nine stores that are kosher, just focusing on me, I don't know, did I go into this store or that store? So that's called kavua. That's something that's in place. So we focus the question just on what did I do? And I don't know. So I can't eat it. I wouldn't get lashes if I ate it. But it's just we consider 50-50. But in that case, if it's found in the middle of all the stores, then I follow the big picture. I say, since it could have come from any of these equally, and nine of them are kosher, I follow the majority and I can eat that. So each of these cases has one side that's the chumrah and one side that's, that's likula. Okay, now a couple of stories that are relevant to this. If you find something that a non-Jew has, and we're talking about a non-Jew in a, in a place that's mostly Jews, and the non-Jew went into one of the stores, I mean, where did he get it from? From one of these stores. And so now you find and he has it and you buy it from him, that's the same as if you found it in the square, in the town square. By the way, this is a, this is a town square from uh, Pompeii in Italy, right? All these, all these old cities, I'm sure you've been to them, have these town squares. That's why it's called platia, like the same word as plaza. It actually comes from that Greek word. So uh, buying it, for, taking it from a non-Jew is the same as finding in the middle. That's considered um, that, uh, you know, uh, whatever, whatever the majority is. Now we have a question on that ruling of Rabbi Yochanan. And it comes from the following story. Rabbi Elazar uh, was um, leaning, was supporting Rabbi Mana. Rabbi Mana was an elder sage. He couldn't walk alone. And so Rabbi Elazar was helping him to walk. While they were walking, they saw a certain uh, Roman, which literally means Aramean. It means anyone who speaks Aramaic, someone not Jewish. Uh, in this case, since they were in Israel, be a Roman. Uh, so they saw him cut off a piece of meat from a horse. So there goes, he goes in taking horse meat, and now he's going to go sell it into the market in a place that's mostly Jews. So someone who buys it will presume that it's Jewish because you just, Biochanan said, you follow like it's a plaza. If this place has mostly Jewish stores, kosher stores, then you, someone would buy it. So that's the question. So Rabbi Elazar asked Rabbi Mana, the elder sage, is this what Rabbi Elazar even say as halacha regarding this case? And then someone would buy this horse meat? 
רבי הבהן שראו אותו יוסה ממקולין של ישראל. רבי יוסה said that this is only that the bees, Rabbi Yochanan's teaching only applies when you actually saw the non-Jew walk out of a butcher shop that belongs to a Jew. Then, oh, he must have, he bought it in there. We assume he bought it in there or in one of those shops. So he has to, you have to see him leave a shop. If he just shows up with meat and you don't know where it comes from, then yes, you do have to worry. Maybe he cut it off a horse. Unless story, Chad Barnash Besiporin, Azel Ba'el Mizbun, there was a certain man, a Jewish guy. He lived in Sipori, and he went to the butcher shop to buy a piece of meat. But the butcher would not, would not sell it to him. They had a tiff. They didn't get along with each other. Butchers were known uh, in those days to be uh, tough personalities. So the butcher said, I'm not selling you, right? No meat for you. Get out. Um, so this, uh, this buyer, he came up with a strategy. He went to an, a Roman, a non-Jewish guy. He said, listen, do me a favor. Here's money. Go buy meat on my behalf, right? And then bring it to me. So he did. So then the guy went into the, went to the front of the butcher and says, look, I bought meat from you. See, I, I tricked you and I got meat anyway. Ah, so you can't stop me. The butcher retorts and says, oh, yeah, but what, you bought it from the Roman? But didn't I sell him non-kosher meat? In other words, I saw he wasn't Jewish, so I sold him non-kosher meat. So now this meat that you bought is actually not kosher. It's useless to you. Ha <laughs> ha, I got you. Okay, great story. So now we have a tradition that this, an incident just like this happened, and they brought the matter before the Biudanasi to rule on it. So, you know, what do we do? Uh, see, in the case where a Jewish butcher sells non-kosher meat, even to a non-Jew is not allowed because presumably that non-Jew might resell it to a Jew. So a Jewish kosher butcher is not allowed to sell non-kosher meat to anyone. If he does and people find out, then they make a decree. Listen, there's non-kosher meat on the market. That's it. No one can buy any meat. Close down all the shops for today. Uh, you don't have to worry about tomorrow because there's not a refrigeration. So tomorrow you can start again. So that's what would normally happen. So they went to the B, closed down the shops. And he said, no, we're not. He doesn't have the power, this guy, this butcher, to close down all the, all, to prohibit all the shops and to close them down. We're not going to believe him. Why? It seems to be that we, he understood that the butcher only said that to annoy the buyer. He said, oh, yeah, I sold him non-kosher meat, just so that the buyer would, uh, would not have satisfaction of, of having meat. But he probably was lying, uh, so we don't even believe him for his own self-guilt, right? He probably only said that to insult him. But in fact, uh, very well, it could have been kosher meat. And so we're not going to now close down all the shops just because of some wisecrack that one person made because he wanted to insult someone else. All right, so that's a great story. And one with this picture here, this is an amazing thing uh, that's, that were found in Jordan. Uh, these were actually uh, stones used to support tables for the butcher shop. So this is the ancient butcher shop. That's, you have to imagine this kind of open place and everybody lined up and uh, buying, buying meat from each of these butchers. Amen, amen.